Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast with me, Andy Sylvester from the City AM newsroom. In a few minutes, I'll sit down with a couple of our reporters to have a deeper dive into new economy figures and the future of Channel 4. But first, the headlines today, and it's deals catching the eye in the square mile. First, Clipper Logistics has confirmed it's being courted with a takeover offer by US suitor GXO Logistics. Clipper, which handles orders for major retailers, including Asda, ASOS and John Lewis, has confirmed media reports over the weekend that it received an offer for 920 pence per share, which values the company at approximately 947 million at a decent premium too. If the takeover goes ahead, the logistics firm, which is being advised by Numis, may well no longer be listed on the stock exchange. Second, the board of John Menzies PLC has accepted an offer from Kuwaiti firm Agility, which is set to see a subsidiary of the Kuwaiti logistics firm, take over the Scottish Aviation Services outfit. Menzies has said it will recommend its shareholders accept an offer from the Kuwaiti firm Agility Logistics and indeed the National Aviation service. It's not quite clear what name is used on the takeover bid. They will acquire Menzies at a price of 608 pence a share. The board of Menzies had said that three lower bids were not sufficient. Um, Edging up this bid from 605p to 608p does seem more of a symbolic moment than anything else. NAS has confirmed to the board that the financial terms, the final proposal, are final and will not be increased, except that NAS reserves the right to increase the amount of the offer price if there is an announcement on or after the date of this announcement of a firm offer for Menzies by a third-party offerer, the Edinburgh-based company said in a statement. And per Mark Kleiman at Sky News, the chief exec of Playtech has sprung a fresh surprise in the battle to control the London listing gambling software group. He's teamed up with an Asian-based suitor. Sky News has learned that more Visor has opted to work with TT Bond Partners on a potential offer for Playtech, even as the company considers a string of approaches that could lead to its breakup. And meanwhile, the boss of one of the UK's top doorstep lenders dumped around £200,000 of his stake in the firm just before it sounded the alarm on profits to investors this morning. Paul Smith, the chief of Morse's Club, a high-cost consumer credit provider, ditched more than half his stake in the firm last Thursday. It was then unexpectedly announced this morning that Smith was leaving the lender, while Morse's Club at the same time announced it expects profits to come in 30% lower than previously thought. Shares in the AIM-listed lender are down about 60-65% to today. I dare say we may be hearing a little bit more from the Financial Conduct Authority in due course on that. Um, Right now, I'll bring in Jack Barnett, our Economics and Markets correspondent. Jack, new PMI figures out this morning, surprisingly resilient considering mostly what we put on the front page at the moment seems to be bad news about inflation. Yeah, so I think, uh, well, last week we were saying that we were getting tired of saying um, that inflation is beating consensus forecast. Well, today, PMI beating consensus forecast is actually good news. Um, They've got services output um, now at 60.8 and then the composite um, measure of both services and manufacturing uh, industries now at 60.2. Um, the expectations on the city were around about 55 or so. So quite quite a good punchy print. Um, mm. I think the, the, the main thing to say is that so the, the recovery now um, seems to be driven by the services sector. There's mainly because you know the end of um, Plan B restrictions um, at the back end of last month, Brits were then just quite keen to go out and spend again and socialise before, um, uh, well, just because the, there's no restrictions to their lives anymore. Mm. Um, there's quite a, I've, we've sort of mentioned it before, this, this podcast is that um, the UK economy is quite heavily reliant on the services industry to generate output. So if you've got increased spending in the services industry, it's almost, there's almost a greater weighting mm. assigned to each additional pound cent spent in the industry. So, you know, if we, if we, if it, if activity is really, really booming, um, you know, that bodes well for overall output. Um, I think the flip side of that now is that you've got the economy running quite hot. Um, 
whether or not this is just a temporary release of pent-up demand because of the end of um, Plan B restrictions remains to be seen. But it is strengthening the case for another rate rise mm. in March, which would be um, the third in the same in as many, in as many meetings, which it's very, very rare that the Bank of England does that. But most economists are now saying that, mm. listen, it's now time to... It's now time to, you know, the economy is actually able to withstand higher borrowing costs and we should be focusing on getting inflation down. It'll be quite a remarkable piece of luck, frankly, for the the, uh, the government if the economy manages to run hot throughout all of the various cost of living headwinds on the way. Um, you'd expect February PMIs to be slightly different, probably slightly further down towards the 50 level, purely because inflation has become now something that is affecting consumer confidence, I mm. think, in a way that perhaps it wasn't in January. Sure, we were talking about it and there was, it was on the horizon, but it hadn't necessarily been felt on the day-to-day. -day. Um, but as we look ahead, more and more surveys that we see seem to suggest, Jack, you'll know better than I, but they seem to suggest that people are starting to feel it a little bit more in their pockets. Yeah, definitely. And I think we've got, it's the sort of, this cost of living crunch, um, like you were saying back in January time when we were reporting on it, you know, it was quite a, a niche topic in the national conversation, but very much is now like, it's front page news now. And that mm. kind of happened at the bank's last meeting when they put out those projections of saying the real income is going to be hit around about 2% um, this year. But, you know, most of the research coming out now, and most economists who you speak to will say that this sharp cost of living squeeze may potentially hit spending further down the line. Now, there is there is a tailwind behind that which could offset it. People might dip into these COVID savings they've got mm. to plug um, their funding shortfalls to maintain spending. They might even borrow more than they normally do. But um, you know, if you've got inflation hitting seven odd percent in April with tax rises and energy and higher energy bills, mm. so uh, there's going to have to be cutbacks at some point, and that will that will squeeze growth. Not everyone has those COVID savings, of course, which is where the economic crunch is probably going to hit i would suggest um thanks jack we'll now bring in leo montebello our tmt correspondent tech media telecom so everything has an acronym in the newsroom um leah the future of channel four we've discussed briefly in the past what might happen to what is jack talking about the service economy being a sort of powering part of the uk economy or services and channel four certainly a good example of that um it has been a political football. No question that there are moves afoot to look at privatisation within government of Channel 4. Um, just explain to us where Channel 4 is right now, because it's got an unusual relationship between the public and private sector. Yeah, so in answer to your question, we don't really know where it's at at the <laughs> moment in terms of the debate and the discussion behind it. Um, but a bit of background on Channel 4. Uh, so it was created by Margaret Thatcher, as, as many of us know. Um, it's owned by the state but editorially independent, which is super important for the content that they make. And they also get their money from advertising. Um, so this puts it in quite an interesting position compared to something like the BBC. Mm. Um, so the most recent update that we have is a group of senior Tory MPs wrote a letter to the Prime Minister, essentially telling him to leave Channel 4 alone and made the case that the case for privatisation hasn't been made. Yeah. Um, so it's all kind of, it's in a bit of a limbo at the moment. Yeah, and that's interesting because the argument that many people make about keeping Channel 4 in the current ownership structure is that while it is editorial independent and it, it pays for itself, right, no public funding, um, that allows it to take more risks perhaps than it would if it was in the private sector. In the private sector, it would obviously be responsive to shareholders and, and the need to maximise profits and returns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
that allows it to take more risks. It allows it to use smaller production companies, goes the argument, and to invest in things like, you know, everything from It's a Sin to Gogglebox, which probably a private, no matter successful as they have been, mm. probably a private sector company might have might have shied away from. But there is an argument that in a world of streamers, that it, in order to keep doing that, looking down the line, it does probably need access to private capital and, you know, the ability the ability to be agile and nimble and not have the sort of public service obligation that it does now in order to keep up with, with Netflix and Prime and various others. And a new streaming entrant today, HBO potentially taking a stake in, in the UK market. Yeah, that's that's definitely exciting and definitely something that Nadine Dorries will probably have in mind when she's considering what to do next. Um, I think what's interesting is that she, when she last spoke about it publicly in no- November, she kind of said it was very much up in the air. Um, so no decisions were being made. Um, but I think kind of what you were saying about the kind of merits of Channel 4, it kind of feeds into the the levelling up programme. Mm. And that was really brought out in this letter that the MP sent that, you know, Channel 4 can use these indie production companies and work across the country in, in ways that maybe streaming giants don't. Mm. It will be one to watch, I think. My instinct is that political will may not quite be there to drive through something so controversial, but it's certainly got Channel 4 suitably worried. They are uh, investing in massive amounts of sort of public information and, and advertising around what they are doing for those production companies in the UK. We will see if that lobbying effort works or does not. Um, it may, of course, please some of the old red wall, red meat Tories, but we'll wait and see. Um, Leah, Jack, thanks for joining us. That's all from us at the City View Podcast today. We'll see you again tomorrow.